1: This week and next, I'm joined by 10 giant industry professionals where we break down the state of music. Producing, publishing, podcasting, media, venues, record labels, record stores. We're going to try to cover it all. It's a massive, massive panel. We're live from Nimbus in downtown Vancouver with a studio audience even. The Nimbus students produced this. Brought to you by Todd Hancock and the Toddcast podcast, who is one of my panelists. Rad dude. Make sure you check him out. It's brought to you by my friends at Varia Brewing, the 3-in-1 coffee maker. They've given me a couple. I'm going to give one away because I'm going to keep one for myself this time. We're going to check it out. It's a 3-in-1 coffee maker. Like, share. Whoever likes it the most, shares it the most, sends it to your people. I'm going to pick a random. You're going to win it. I'm going to ship it. We tried to jam it all into one. I couldn't. I had to break it up into two. So this is part one. Live from Nimbus. It's the Brenton on Tour Music Cast. Part one of two. Here we go. Let's rock, let's rock today. Out on stage, I get to bring all of these people together for three hours.
2: You're listening to the Brenton on tour music cast brought to you by people who love music, people who make music and all things. Well, music, you still don't really know who he is, but he just helped you stop drinking shitty coffee on the coffee cast. So get off the john, grab a ghetto blaster, hit record and play at the same time and learn a thing or two about music. It's the Brenton on tour music cast. Here's BD.
1: Welcome everybody to the Brenton on tour Podcast. We've got a panel of, uh, how do I refer to them here? (laughs) Vancouver's Finest. Yes? No? Maybe so? We've got some people here. This is episode nine and ten of the Brenton on Tour podcast, breaking it up into two episodes where we're focusing on kind of continuing my, my journey from episode two about the Vancouver music scene, but we added a whole bunch of people to this talk about... Uh, Where music's going, where we see it going, content, media, all the rest of it. And we've pulled in a whole bunch of people from the Vancouver music scene. Uh, We're all jammed around a table uh, at Nimbus, right? Christina, where are we at today?
3: We are at the historic home of Little Mountain Sound, which is Nimbus's satellite campus.
1: Graciously, they're producing this. They gave us a space, so I thank you for that. Garth Richardson at the end of the table. Sir, how are you? Good, good. Why don't you introduce yourself to the giant studio audience and our listeners abroad.
4: (laughs) I do beats (laughs) and I have a truck.
1: (laughs) Garth Richardson does beats
4: Beats
1: (laughs) and he has a truck. We'll get into Garth in a little while here. (laughs) Next, who we got there?
5: My name is Doug. I play guitar. I played guitar for Biff Naked for a lot of years, toured with her for a lot of years. Uh, I have a studio, so I record bands. I've been doing that for a lot of years. And I've been uh, producing video for the last while as well. So I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy.
1: Which you got to be in today's world, right, Doug?
5: Yes, you do. (laughs) Well, I do anyways. Yeah,
6: Mr. Hancock. Well, you know, Doug stole the jack-of-all-trades. That's what I was going to lead with. But uh, uh, my name is Todd, uh, Todd Hancock. I used to do uh, the afternoon show at Sea Fox uh, from 2002 to 2014. Um, the morning show before that, the evening show before that. Uh, I was there for 15 years. Uh, when I was showing the door, a bunch of my friends, including uh, the guy to my left here, Doug, we kind of talked about uh, podcasting and and how that was kind of taking off in in 2014. It was prior to that, I suppose, but. Uh, enough friends told me why don't you try to get into podcasting instead of uh, getting back to radio and i just started my sixth year uh, podcasting with the toddcast podcast yeah. and uh, i am now a uh, yeah hell yeah uh, and i'm also um, one of the instructors for the radio arts and entertainment course at bcit Jack of all trades. Jack of all <laughs> trades. He's also presenting, the Toddcast
1: podcast is also presenting the Brenton on Tour uh, music cast, this series of 10 that we're doing. So That's thanks right. for that, buddy. Appreciate you. it. you. That just basically means free coffee. <laughs> right. That's why I'm here for the coffee. <laughs> it is Canadian uh, industry, by the way. So. Lyle, how are you doing?
2: Hi. Uh, Lyle Shossi. I uh, have uh, recently got into the last six, seven years of music management, promotion, consulting with uh, artists. Um, so I managed a few artists and along the way um, kind of got the opportunity in Providing music services for today's modern music industry a lot of the way of course artists make money is through this crazy stuff called merchandise So I got into merchandise wholesaling which has been uh, a really fun opportunity to um, Just drive down pure business entrepreneurial road. So uh, combining my my love of business and love of music and colliding them head on to uh, help artists
1: succeed. That's the left side of the table. We're gonna move (laughs) to the right. Over here, uh, Corinne Lee, hi.
0: Hello, Um, I'm the owner operator of the Rio Theater. And um, yeah, I've been doing that for 10 years. uh, So I see a lot of different bands and talent coming through the doors um, from burlesque to comedy to live music. And um, yeah, I, I, it, in case you didn't hear about it, we had a big campaign a couple of years ago to save the Rio, and we managed to raise $8 million to buy the place. Way yeah. to go. Yeah, that's it, awesome. Eight save it from developers that's tearing amazing. it down. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I travel quite a bit and uh, talk to lots of people in the industry, and most people are pretty blown away that we were able to do that. So I feel, I feel proud, but I also feel like Vancouver should be proud. Because mm-hmm. it was a huge community effort. And I haven't met anybody else who's managed to, you know, do something like this where a community has come together like that to save their own, you know, their own local theater. So it's a, it's an accomplishment for all of us.
7: It was, well, it
6: was, it was big enough that it uh, wasn't Ryan Reynolds uh, tweeting about it and, and talking about, you know, everybody gather around and, and save you know, one of the fixtures, the key fixtures in Vancouver.
0: Yeah, that was uh, Kevin Smith. And uh, Kevin Smith was probably the biggest one who came forward where he actually tweeted at us and said, I'll donate some shows. He donated two sold-out shows. Um, and then, of course, he had a heart attack, which was pretty intense. Mm. And we thought, oh, well, there goes those two sold-out shows. But no, dude recovered and, and showed up wow. and, and donated all the proceeds made by it so he is a superhero and but yeah we love uh, Ryan Reynolds uh you know basically tweeted and said I donated you know yeah. to us and so yeah and Seth Rogen and also Elijah Wood that you know there was a handful of celebrities that jumped on board i think the main thing is is that they understand um i mean i know this is more from the film side of things but they understand how important the indie theater is um, because you you know you're not always showing your films at Cineplex. You're not always in the superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're in some little cool indie film that needs a place to be seen. Also, you know most of these guys are big fans of live music too. So and you know we can't afford to. We already have so many places we've lost that so we can't afford to lose anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Which we're gonna get into. Yeah, but so. uh, I think it's crucial that you're here, Corinne, because uh, you, you saved one of the gems of this city. You know, so kudos to you for that and giving bands and artists another place to play. Which
0: is great. Thanks for the invite.
1: No problem. Dave.
7: Uh, my name's uh, David Roberts. I, I guess I come from the artist side of things. Um, I can kind of blame Garth a little bit for this <laughs> because uh, Garth was one of the first people that took a chance on our band. Um, the band's called Washboard Union now. It used to be called uh, Run GMC. That's right. and, um, badass. Garth, uh, Garth saw us play in a, in a club one night and uh, came up to us afterwards and, uh, and said that we made him smile. And um, asked us if we'd, uh, we'd come and record with him. And actually in this facility, what was that, 2009, I think? 2012? Something, yeah, yeah. It all blurs together. But um, yeah, so my perspective would definitely be from the artist side um, in these changing times, um, the way music is provided to people now and how people consume music um how artists have to really do the, the punk thing and you know do it yourself
1: and you got a great beard <clears> thank <throat> you it's, it's just rented it's rented it so like, also thanks. smells good too. It's just
6: beard envy over here <laughs> yeah. awesome thanks buddy
8: next i'm Gigi Keithcart, formerly of uh scrape Records, the store currently scrape Records, the label uh working and doing promotion with bands uh signing bands putting out product cd wise vinyl wise manufacturing all band merchandise uh, also doing concert promotion and production for local concert productions and uh, pleasure of Brent to invite down and want to shed some of the light on the retail landscape over the past 25 plus years that I've been involved in it and uh, how we've seen it shape. We'll get to that later on in the show. Beside That's me, good. we have. And he's been a huge help for uh, the music cast, uh, the, the, the podcast in
1: general, but when we were coming out with... Uh, More heavy metal artists that I had, uh, like Ray from Corn and stuff. Uh, JJ hit all of his, you know, people and uh, really helped me boost that episode. So thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting. And at the end.
3: Uh, hi, my name is Christina Lau. Uh, I am an artist advocate. Uh, for the last four years, I've worked in community and industry at NIMBA School of Recording and Media. Uh, so I help uh, students with placement opportunities. I work with industry to get more career pathway visibility. And I also advocate um, on the board of directors for Music BC, which is very dear to my heart. Uh, and I will be soon freelancing as a consultant in media and entertainment. Uh, specifically, one of my next projects will be with Prolific Media, um, helping to put together an education program uh, in a an entertainment hub and private members club and venue in Miami.
1: Give it some movies, other stuff too. Which is
3: Do, great. Yes, I'm also an actor, and you can find me in very small roles in lots of places.
1: <laughs> well, thank you all for being here. Thanks, Tori. Huge audience we have here coming out to Nimbus on a very, very cold January. Uh, everybody, I gathered you all here because you basically have been, I've been in Vancouver for 15 years. I would say a majority of you have been here as long, if not longer. And I've seen the changes to the city. I covered the changes in episode two with Aaron Chapman, who was gonna join us today, who wrote the Vancouver After Dark, uh, books on the Commodore, the penthouse. Had a great historic run of the venues in Vancouver uh, past present and sort of where it's going I wanted to cover a few subjects in the podcast starting with Vancouver as a whole so everyone's seen the changes you've seen the coming you know the, the Richards going away and the town pump and some of these artists that have come out of BC and Vancouver and i just feeling like the city itself might be losing a bit of its musical identity from a live perspective, because we're losing venues like crazy. And I just wanted to get everyone to kind of weigh in on where you think, you know, where, where do you think the state of the industry is in Vancouver right now? From a live perspective, production, everything, studios, Doug, you, you know, you had a, a studio here and you you've closed it, but, you know, you're moving on to other things. So there's challenges in every single aspect of what we do. So I just kind of want to roll it around the table and you guys can just kind of chin-wag away around it. Um, Who wants to start? Because I want to, you know, give me your your kind of perspective on the Vancouver past, Benny wise
4: Who wants to start?
2: The town pump was the best place in Vancouver (laughs) to watch a show. It was. (laughs) I was there. If you didn't go, you missed a piece of history. Yes, the Commodore is bloody amazing, but the town pump is where every walk of music was given a chance to breathe long before anybody knew who the bands were.
1: Yeah, that's
2: and true.
0: one thing I would add to that is when you mentioned Aaron Chapman, um, you know, I got the, his book for Christmas. I made sure someone got it for me, and uh, my daughter was looking at it. You know, Vancouver after dark, and she's nineteen, and you know, very interested in seeing live music. And she was like, "Wow, Vancouver seemed a lot cooler back then." You know, so uh, yeah, it was interesting for the different generations to you know to look back at that book and see all the various places that were happening and to know that you know I can actually remember a lot of these places so yeah it has changed a lot.
2: I'll say this really quick somebody said to me once the back in the day you went to the bar that was your search engine you went there to find out what was going on who was playing you didn't really know the bands you didn't have these things that we all got plunked down in front of us and carry in our pockets and purses etc so you went to the bars to find out what was going on and then your friends were there so that was your social media too and 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 found out who was going out with who and who was was happening and who was a drummer and who was a guitar player and who was a DJ. you went to the bars. It didn't matter who was playing. And then you hung out and watched the bands and mm. formed opinion. And you passed on good, bad, or indifferent made thoughts mix, about it. And tapes. that was social media. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- we didn't have the internet in our hand. We didn't have 50 million songs on Spotify walking around with us. So you went to the Town Pump or Richards on Richards or wherever, or some underground club at 3 a.m. that was serving something green for $6. You know. But you did read magazines.
7: <laughs> and you read magazines. And you read so- magazines for every band you could
2: find. Yeah, so we, we all come at it from a different generation. So as we talk about the past, all that has changed because, of course, real estate value in, in Vancouver has gone through the roof. And we're one of the top cities in the world as, f- as far as, certainly from a North American perspective, the value of the land has eliminated joints like Richards on Richards. They're, they don't exist because they're now condos. Um, it was just too valuable. Mm-hmm. The, the, the clubs couldn't keep up with the taxes. And Starfish so everything room, yeah. everything changed as a result of it, and that's why you had to raise eight million dollars to save your theater, is because someone wanted to buy it to do whatever the heck they were going to do and put a Gap store there or something. Condos, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and, and so at the end of the day, we're talking about business, and all these bars have to make money, and they're not always full. Like there's lots of nights where, again, where I went and watched you know bands like Tool on a Tuesday night at the Town Pump, and there's a hundred people there. You know,
0: there was also the electronic music uh influence too that like i i I really remember that where before it was all about the bands and then it switched and became a lot more about electronic music and so that was part of it as well
1: your point about uh, the search engine being live so one of the points i like touching on in in some stuff and my daughter's here today and she she reads through album credits right and that's how we would find out about producers so a lot of people finding out about like, you know, when, we were, when I was coming through, it was like, who's Bob Rock and why is he producing these records? And then, wow, who's was Garth Richardson. And then you're showing up on Kitty and you're showing up on all these other records that like, I'm in Ontario, I don't know, you know, you're producing all these records and Doug, you're showing up everywhere. People are showing, their names are showing up and we could start going to C bands live, buy their record, pull the album credits there, read where everyone's going. And then everyone gets talking about, you got to go see this band. You go, I don't see that happening right now. A lot of people.
4: Yeah, that's lost now because you know what? You can, no, you can no longer find who who is actually doing what. You can't find it on Apple Music, Spotify. You can't find it anywhere. You have, well, to, go to, you have to go to Wikipedia to Spotify get you know, the results
6: of, of who you, did what. You know, it's wrong, too. Because Wikipedia is never wrong.
7: Well, so. <laughs> <laughs> <But laughs> Spotify does show the credits now. They who, do? who the writer is, who the producer is.
1: Yeah, you got to no. dig
7: for it. But yeah, but, it, but but it's there. You it's shouldn't it. have to. Exactly,
2: yeah. Yeah, that that right. Shouldn't, shouldn't be
1: that hard. Garth, did you find uh how long have you been in Vancouver now?
4: I got here in 1997. Was there a venue
1: a go-to venue for you well, to we went find to a, bands?
4: A place called the Five Star with a, uh, the other one that was on Richards. It was upstairs. It was the Five Star the Starfish, room. Starfish, Starfish room. room. Starfish Room. Yeah, yeah so there with the Jesus Lizard he and David Yow, the singer, pissed all over the audience. Wow! <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> ah, the <laughs> memories. Rock and roll. I, right? that. Right. I think yeah, I've remember. got a Jesus yeah, lesson yeah, yeah. pissed story too. Yeah, yeah. So we you to go to all these CD, CD rock halls. Right? It was great. Now it's just, it's just, it's just really kind of boring, boring clubs.
1: Were you finding? And all of this. A question for all of you: Like, were you finding? Um, when I first moved here, I, I grabbed the Georgia Strait and find out where bands were playing and kind of going yeah. through the listings and all the rest of it. And people would tell me, go here, go there, go to Richards. And Richards was still here when I was here, but I'm, I'm only 15 years here, so I'm yeah. probably shortest on the days here. But did you go find bands there? Todd, you guys had to go from Fox there. Doug, were you guys trying to find bands in clubs to pr-
6: maybe produce? Or was it, you know? Well, for me, you know, being a, a DJ on the rock station, it was one of those, like, you know, I felt that it was kind of up to me to get to know the scene. And I kind of just started to, you know, just attach myself as much to the, to the scene as I possibly could. And, you know, being that I was a 25 year old kid, that's all I wanted to do. That's the reason why I was a DJ was because I love music. I'm a music spaz. (laughs) So when I had that, the, basically it was like the, you you got a carte blanche to go and see these shows. It's not costing me any money to go see these shows. So it was like, if it was at Dick's on Dick's or it's a starfish room, or if it was the town pump or the media club or the red room or the Roxy or wherever, I didn't care where it was. I just wanted to see uh, the bands that were playing our scene. So I, I think I'm, you know, I may have had a bit of a different kind of feel for the scene than, uh, than most um, simply because I was a, a DJ at, at the rock station. Pretty cool when you get to go to clubs for free and oh, just watch absolutely. everything that's going absolutely. on so
2: Tuesday is Saturday Pre- and you just go to everything
6: yeah I mean pretty <laughs> pretty lucky but I mean again when you, you talk about the the venues um, of Vancouver that in the past uh, it, it's for me I'm gonna echo the same thing that that Lyle just said you know the, these are the the town pump do you remember when uh, the town pump was doing those uh, uh, shows with I uh, think it was Molson Canadian where they were like the blind date small venue sound Soundgarden yeah. show it was it so was cool Soundgarden <laughs> like Soundgarden at this place that holds uh, two hundred people at the most um, you know when are you ever going to see that again
3: um, No oh, sorry go ahead Okay thanks um, I just wanted to weigh in as probably the the newest person um, in Vancouver. And I, I have to say, I'm pretty tirelessly optimistic. Um, because when I first arrived here, I came from London, which is oversaturated. There are venues everywhere. There are pubs all over the place. Um, they're very, it's uh, obviously it's, they've, you know, it's steeped into their culture. And when I got here, I started a collective because I couldn't find where to play. So to your point, um, when you're talking about going out to the clubs and looking at the Georgia Strait for where to go and see things, um, what venues existed, I had nothing um, available to me that was easy for me to find. But what I did realize was when I did find those venues, a lot of them were really eager to put on shows. They just weren't able to find people, to curate them in a a way that was effective to today's audiences. And they also weren't marketing to audiences in a modern way. And I think that was the interesting thing for me. And I saw that more as an opportunity, but I missed what I heard was that, you know, the golden age of when the documentary, No Fun City came out, um, about (laughs) Vancouver it's true. I missed there was a ga- there was a gap. There was a gap in in between what I've heard about as that golden era of rock age, and then the kind of age of the peak performance project and the age of the peak radio station and a, a redefinition that. of Vancouver's music sound or what it, identity musical identity, and now moving into this really exciting underground mixed use space based um, culture of electronic hip hop, R&B, such crazy artists are coming out of Vancouver today. If you look at it, at it in a different way from venues that aren't actually music venues. And to me, that's a, it's a huge opportunity, but I think that the population of Vancouver and the audience in Vancouver needs to be developed for us to be able to fill those venues and create feel, more of an identity. I
0: feel like there's always been underground spaces in Vancouver. Like I've, I've pretty much grown up here, so I've been here since a long time, and uh, so yeah. Whenever people from out of town would say there's nothing happening in Vancouver, I'm like, you just don't know where that is, yeah, because it's they're all underground.
4: Maybe I'm too old, but are there any speakeasy still? Is there like the after? Well, it wouldn't be called.
0: It wouldn't. Well, it's just like people just put things on in warehouse spaces. Yeah. Right. And so okay. that just, yeah. that's happened so all the way the along. Yeah. That yeah. happened in the, in the 80s, 90s. The all, 70s, still 60s, does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's still going on. So, and the only thing is, is, I mean, before there were some amazing, a lot of amazing spaces in Gastown and, and various places. And so just because of gentrification, there, you know, there's less and less of those spaces. But people always can find a cool warehouse space in some you know, industrial area to put something on. So, um, yeah, I think that that Sometimes those are the best shows Yeah, sometimes those are the best shows
8: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City Go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda You never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today Your savings are waiting Go to your happy place
7: for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price priceline.
5: Yeah. If you get a show into a non-standard venue, it can be you know, it's a whole creative process, it's a whole Mm -hmm. creative thing, even about where the show is and how the show is presented and all the different things that you overcome from playing in like a standard club. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, who's to say that rock and roll has to live in a bar? Right? Yeah. One thing I will say, though, is that when... Okay, so after playing with Biff for a long time, I played in a band called Scatterheart. And it was like... Yeah. You know, it was a brand new band starting from scratch kind of thing. And the one thing that I really enjoyed about Scatterheart while we were going was our first CD release was at the Anza Club. Mm -hmm. And the Anza Club is like, you know, capacity of one hundred ninety to 100 people. Kind of dirty, gritty place. And that's where we did our release party. And... It was a cool feeling to be able to go from the Anza Club and then to graduate to the next room, which was, uh, it was venue. So we did venue. And then to graduate to Richard's and then to graduate to the Commodore, like you kind of could feel uh, progression and, you know, a a following building throughout each of those shows. And each of those venues kind of was like the next notch on your belt. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, the next goal is to fill up this room or to go with that room. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know if that exists as much anymore, right? You know, if you don't I, I really think you caught that. the
1: tail end of that. Okay, it does exist from the standpoint of a promoter. I mean, Corinne, you see this, you get you have 400 people in your room, so you see the development of bands coming in. Um, niece Taylor's here. She's doing a bunch of shows between the Biltmore all the way up to the Vogue. You know, she'll catch a band at the beginning and move up. I just had a tour manager send me... A settlement sheet from the first Arkell show. Yeah, being like, do you remember this show? And I was like, oh my god, that was like so long ago. And now they're you know it's doing forty five thousand people in Hamilton, you know, in the stadium. So it exists if if it's bought properly, if the if the band is developed properly. Uh, but that doesn't. People are in a rush, right? People are in yeah. a rush to 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 uh, to to make to to go for it. And Lyle, I mean, you've been in band management for a couple of years now, um, trying to, you know, bands want it all like right away. Like, I mean, there's all these different struggles to that side of developing artists. So, yeah,
2: everybody wants it right away. The promoter wants it right away because they're putting, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars plus their staff plus their night. They're they're putting whatever they're putting out for the artist. They're putting out advertising. They're putting out. You know if if your band's not going to be there or your dj is not going to be there someone else should be in there that can do the business that's how they're looking at it you know they, they they want something in there that is going to do the business so they're taking a risk by putting you out there and then there's that artist responsibility to be that bloody good so that they can graduate hopefully to the next room but you also have a loyalty to the person who took a risk on you to like you know build a relationship with them maybe do another show see if you can do a double whatever you can do to you know build your audience and uh, build a relationship with that promoter because you need each promoter talking about each show because they're going to say, hey, this band was really good. They might know somebody in Hamilton and then all of a sudden your phone's ringing from somebody in Hamilton going, hey, I hear you guys are a really good act. So you, you need so many things to go right, right at the beginning. So it still comes down to the people who sing and write and perform have got to be fantastic performers. They've got to have songs. They've got to have audience, whether it's small or whether it's small and growing. That's everybody, every artist is in the audience business in today's Mm. modern music business because you have an audience on social and you have an audience uh, on Spotify, iTunes, it's uh, Google, et cetera, and YouTube. So you've got all these audiences you're playing with. They could be very different. There's people who don't use Spotify that use YouTube and vice versa. Uh, So you've got all these things to work on and everybody wants a result now. Everything's a stock report today. Uh, Artists can look at their um results and artists for spotify or this that and the other thing you get all these analytics now and the promoters want that now because they don't have to wait anymore it's you don't have to wait for the tuesday music charts to be published Um, it's a very very now business and uh so it it is difficult and and um at the end of the day this is the entertainment business so be bloody entertaining
4: well too you have to realize too that nobody is actually waiting for a really shitty song. No, <laughs> strange, right? Eh? And so many bands spend more t- time on their actual social media thing. If they just actually sat and actually turned off all of their data what a and learned how to properly write a song,
2: Led Zeppelin didn't make it on a Facebook.
4: No, no, you know, no. Fa- you know, Zeppelin, who, Jackson you know, Brown. They made it because they had songs yeah, yeah. Because they didn't have a phone that was always actually by, by you. They yeah, would spend them. hours and days learning how to write songs. Yeah. And
3: uh, uh, Garth, I believe we have a program for that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. In case anyone's interested we in do. the artist <laughs> development program. Yes. So uh, to back
2: up part of this really quick about the modern business, but also the business in general, I've talked about this with some of you on the panel here before. But it's very interesting. Modern uh, statistic is, of course, everybody knows what Spotify is. But Spotify itself admitted that 97% of the content that they put up in the last uh, 12 months, 97% of it will struggle to have 100,000 streams
4: worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. okay. I think that's low too. Yeah, I agree. So I think it's low struggle like most yeah. people
2: most artists will get to You know ten twenty thousand and good they're, they're building an audience. That's what the game is But most you, it'll take a year or two sometimes for an independent artist playing local clubs opening up for cool International or Canadian national bands to get to a hundred thousand on one song.
4: Yeah, and we write You know a great song that'll happen overnight
2: Right, if you have fantastic songs and you've got a good team around you to help promote it and you're going to get off your butt and support it and whether you're a DJ Mm -hmm. or a country act or whatever the heck you are, get out there and play and perform and share it and buy some advertising and and do the right things, give audiences an opportunity
6: to find you.
3: Can I ask Karina a question actually just on that note because uh, the RIA is just a really wonderful sized theatre so I wanted to ask you just on that note how with the people that book that size theater what do you notice as the trends of what they've done to get up to that point
0: yeah it's interesting because i see that i we see a lot of uh acts that are either about to blow up like occasionally we've gotten somebody who was played the rio and then next thing you know they're in stadiums because they just happen to be blowing up and then you see uh artists like willow smith um, who I think was she was so you know uh, inexperienced in performing in live spaces that there was a lot of um, there was a lot of trepidation from her people and all of the stuff about uh, how the show was going to go and you know and so it you really felt like someone like her needed a smaller venue actually like a, like she can draw the crowd because she's Willow Smith but then she didn't have the experience, like you're saying, of just playing live shows. So that's kind of the issues of the different sizes of venues that if, if you like, I think that's kind of the problem of having too few venues. If you have but,
2: lots of I'm sure of Dave, you could attest to that. Like there's so many times you're like, are we playing the right venue tonight? Sometimes it's too small. Sometimes it's too big.
7: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It, it's a, it's a great point, and um, this this is why having a, a good team on your side is so so crucial because your agent will prevent you from making those mistakes. You want to play everything. You want to play the biggest show some you can. Some agents. Yeah. Some agents. Some agents. You gotta. <laughs> sometimes you, gotta you just gotta agents, go out there yeah. no
2: matter what, right? Like yeah. sometimes you still gotta go. Okay, there's we we're we're, we're three hundred people sold on a seven hundred person room, but we gotta there's three hundred people here.
0: And no <laughs> no diss to Willow Smith because I know my daughter was actually at that show and thought still thought it was fun but you could just really sense the the lack of confidence of, of just performing live and you know as we all know the people who are really successful as live musicians it's because they've done a lot of it and they' they've, they've done the small venues you know b- working their way up yeah. uh, speaking to what you were saying about wanting things to happen fast so um, yeah. 10,000 hours right yeah, and, and that can be mm-hmm.
7: devastating to yeah. an artist though when you when you play the wrong room at the wrong time.
2: Just, it kills totally. your confidence
1: they can I mean it's the, it's the rush so
2: I booked a band recently they don't need to talk about it but who it was but we all knew when we booked it that it wasn't going to even be 50% sold out everybody the promoter knew it the agent knew it I knew it band knew it but you know there was a decent amount of money on the table and we had three nights off so you go play a show and you play to the 350 people that were there not the 350 people who aren't there so you still have to be in the audience business and take care of the fans that are, are enjoying you laying down their money coming out and this happened to be on a mm-hmm. Sunday night and it's like you, you gotta you still got to be again in the business of entertaining and connecting with your audience
4: yeah I did a band that actually headline leads 60 60 to 70,000 people they played the actual Commodore here a thousand people the same show it was insane that it was like, you guys a, a
6: biffy clare yeah, yeah
4: yeah 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 some of the yeah. vogue it was great <laughs> yeah yeah same you know you know 60,000 yeah. people and mm-hmm. when it came here it was the exact same show and it was even harder like you, you know like you, you actually gave it you yeah. know so 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 everybody has to entertain there's no off night because you know what no. somebody no. somebody somebody might actually see that band and then that could be the extra kicking stone to get you to the top
6: right yeah you know one of the interesting things that I'm seeing lately guys is um, bands are now because of the lack of venues in Vancouver or certainly the lack of venues that are maybe hundred to two hundred people which is what you know if you're putting together a, a bill and you've got two other bands that you want to play with and you've got three bands in between the three you're thinking okay well we should be able to get at least 100 people out because there's that lack of uh, the venues in Vancouver I'm starting to see now bands are just doing house parties yeah. they're literally playing mm-hmm. a house yeah which is not a bad thing Todd my band was huge in house parties <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we went copper man back to the <laughs> copper. back to what uh, uh, D- Doug was saying uh, I can't remember what the, what the the point was I remember you were saying something and I was like man I, I want to get this uh, the house party thing in and and the point of the house party is You'll remember the house party before you're going to remember you bet. the media club. You Scatterheart bet.
1: was like that. Scatterheart did all the
6: great. You guys,
1: you know, I mean, your singer had wings. But that was a thing. <laughs> yes, he did. But I'm saying it was like you guys were, were, were going at that. It was it was rad. I mean, the band was totally when it when it, it looked amazing at the Commodore when it when it got to that point and you broke it in so many different levels. Yeah, you well. guys were on the grassroots level, and I, I, again, I say I think you were at the la- tail end of that. Yeah.
5: And a lot of that was taking chances, Put it this way, when you're a band and you're, you're going to buy, okay, so you're relatively unknown, maybe in mainstream. So you approach the venue and you say, okay, we're going to sell this place out. And you, of course, they're pretty hesitant and pretty looking at you a little cross-eyed like, oh, really? And I said, yes, we're going to sell this place out. Give us top dollar for this show. They're offering you low buck. It's up to the band to all of a sudden go, okay. We're confident we can sell the place out. How much is it for your room? I'll buy your room for the night. Yeah, right. What's and the sound guy? I'm taking guy, I'm taking everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how confident you got to be. Yeah, That's you how confident to you know.
6: the welcome to the and, new big feel so f- <laughs> for that band. How much did you did you use social media? Was that even a factor into breaking the band?
5: At that point in time, translating social media to real world was that was an interesting mix that was going on because I was of the old school which is like Shake somebody's hand, give them a ticket. You know they're going to be at the show.
6: Right, crush the show.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of like you know hand to hand and old school hand-billing and stuff like that. But then uh, social media was just taking off, and that was Wes, our bass player. Well, he's an internet guy, so he was more pushing the online thing. So our band was kind of this hybrid thing at that time when social media was kind of a new, uh, a newer type way to promote. And now I think it's flipped the other way. Where everything is yeah. is very social media, but I still believe that the flake factor is way higher <laughs> in social media or digital than sure. than you know face to face or you know contact.
1: Yeah. Doug, that was only 100%. two years. Hundred percent. Oh, the good old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotta move on, guys. To one second, I'm gonna move on for one second uh, before I want to move on to music production because uh, Garth has to run off the NAM. But we're gonna do. I want. Uh, do you guys have a favorite gig locally that you've seen? Over the last, you know, to, like, what's your favorite? Uh, the Sound Garden, small room. Have you guys? Oh, is there a yeah. favorite show that you've seen in Vancouver? And then uh, I want to move on to the new state of record production.
0: Are we talking recent or like long time ago?
1: In in general, yeah. Just, what's been your favorite ooh, that's show? a Tough one. Wow. That's, that's in a, Vancouver, see, I'm saying. In Vancouver, in the scene, Richards. Yeah, that's saying what's uh, your favorite kid. Yeah, right. You know, I got yeah. two of them here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
4: You can know.
0: Say, I can say one of my favorite that we just had at the Rio not long ago was uh, Lee Fields. Uh, he's like James Brown. Oh, he's, yeah, he, soul. he plays with Sharon. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I didn't know that much about him, you know, booking him at the Rio. And I ended up going to the concert and had everybody standing up, like not one person sitting down. And everybody was just so into it. And it was, yeah, that was pretty exciting. And just to see at the Rio, a lot of times people will watch shows you know, say seventy percent of the people sitting with with some people crowding up front, but to have the entire room up on their feet was really really exciting.
4: I, mean, I don't know; it's hard to pick.
6: Okay. On, pick pick one, Garth. Don't be like that.
0: I can't. Just <laughs> I just
6: can't do it.
1: Have any of the bands you produced though that had blown up uh, had come into that small room in town? You're like, wow, this is like oh yeah, you, the Commodore. Yeah, and you're the like...
4: band we talked t- talked about, Biffy Clyro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the show the show was just it was just like wow.
1: I saw it at the Vogue.
4: It was
5: amazing. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> awesome. Anything? Out? Uh, let's see. I saw Mastodon and Clutch nice. at, uh, at the show. Commodore. That was a pretty good show. I saw that as well. Uh, and then there was a show at the uh, railway fairly recently uh, ska, ska Music in Vancouver. No way. Yeah. I recorded a couple bands uh, that were playing that night, and they had three other bands, and it was just like a whole skull night. And that crowd dances. They party. They have a great time. And it's so it it's not the cool kid music right now, but there's a thing going on in Vancouver, and it's a very kind of micro scene. And I appreciate that.
1: Taylor, what's the name of the band that you the uh, the ska band that's really big right now? Not to put you on the spot, but there was Sea um, Fox playing them like crazy. The Interrupters. They're bringing it back a little bit. Yeah. The Interrupters are bringing back yeah. that ska rock. Yeah, yeah. Thing that's happening. I'm seeing. A lot of bands pop up like that now yeah it's kind of cycled back around
5: yeah
2: Uh, i think from a large scale a few years ago uh would be roger waters the wall at bc place that was unbelievable Mm. um from a medium scale in the late 80s uh public enemy at the orpheum blew my mind changed my life wow um did
6: anybody see the tragically hip at dicks on dicks not I. no just no, you i, I think have, i was there
3: <laughs>
2: We're and there. then uh, from a small scale there's so many shows that i saw at the town pump but a couple that really stood out was like one night we watched uh living color and then the next night we watched tracy chapman so
4: like that's what? the kind
2: of right. diversity that mm-hmm. you get in that venue and i always like live stuff where there's a guitar or or something with a lot of soul so um it was really cool to be able to go to that dynamic.
6: I saw a, a Zach Wilde acoustic at uh, Town Pump. Yeah. yeah. Amazing.
2: Yeah, that was great. It was a good night.
6: Dave? Uh, I'm mine... sorry. Let me, I'm going to. One of my favorite gigs is Run GMC at the
1: Media Club. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> a little louder, please. Okay. A little louder. Yeah, that's
7: right. uh, I'd say it would be Radiohead at The Rage. Wow. Um, and then I just saw this cat, Donnie Bonet at The Fox, about uh, three three months ago, which I thought was a great show.
2: That was a private event, that Radiohead gig. How'd you get in?
7: I snuck in. people.
8: JJ, yeah, yeah, what do you got? Thinking back to classic uh, club show Bruce Dickinson, Iron Maiden at Studebaker's nice. with Geezer yeah. Butler opening. Nice. Not only, Yeah. That was not only an amazing show, but that whole day of and day after. Had the pleasure of uh, having Bruce Dickinson do an autograph session when I was working at HMV, and that was the first main autograph session that I ever set up that led into Lyle, a number of years later, helped me with Cradle of Filth and other bands at Scrape, but to have Bruce Dickinson hang with God, him was that awesome. day, also did a <laughs> hangout with him later that day on his on his bus for longer than we should have. He was more than more than pleasant, but his manager ended up coming back at one point and said, "I think you're done." And it's like, yeah, I, we've spent more than enough time with Bruce. But went down to see him the next day playing even in a smaller room in Everett, in Washington, and uh, hanging around, you know, just hoping to get in early. And we're actually lucky enough to do an interview with Geezer the next night in in Everett. But after that was done, because we got down there early for the interview, Bruce, all of a sudden, Bruce just kind of appears in the the distance. And you see Bruce there. And then Bruce peers over and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, you're just standing here. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and and he sees that there's a massive line already building to go into the room. And he's like, no, no, you, you come in with us. And that, and Bruce at that time also had Adrian Smith for Iron Maiden in his band, and Bruce is leading my wife and I into the club, and we got to hang out during sound check. It was it was ridiculous. Like I still need to be slapped upside the head for that. That was amazing. Did you take uh, him to the to the moose, Pardon me? Did you take him to the moose? There was no moose at that oh, point. No, yeah. that, oh, was, that, no was, that, that was that was, was pre moose. Mo- 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 that, oh, was, that was back the, in the 1970, <laughs> I guess. Right? Exactly, 1970. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. quick one at um, the Forum. Uh, Pantera opening for Skid Row Slave to the Grind oh, that I was ridiculous that. that was the week that Vulgar Display of Power came uh, out actually I think it was the day even after it came out and there was a guy beside me who was singing every word to Vulgar Display of Power and I'm like again this is pre-internet this is pre-streaming this is pre-torrent
2: and then Soundgarden was headlining the Commodore that night I and mean, if you went to the yeah, yeah, yeah after yeah. that you head right down to the Commodore and Soundgarden
6: was gigging
8: and then uh, <laughs> last one I'll say first time seeing Rush at the Coliseum yeah
6: wow, cool we're going to go on rest J- in a little JJ, while. JJ, I, uh, I drove down from Summerland to Vancouver for that Skid Row uh, Pantera show. Saw the show. It's in winter.
8: It was, Dro- yeah. And, it was March. I, here? March, the- March 92, 28 yeah. years ago in two months. I, right? yeah. Yeah. And oh, I, I I'm I'm ridiculous with so that so stuff. I, so I saw the show,
6: and I drove back on the crow's nest to work that next morning in
8: Summerland. So this is just a reasonably hand-drawn, facsimile of you right now. You don't actually exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Christina,
3: so. um, uh, I m- on a larger scale, I uh, am a massive fan of Lady Smith Black Mambazo, and I saw them at the Chan Center, and that was just unbelievable. And I took my favorite date, my mum. Uh, who had never heard of Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, and she enjoyed it a lot. Um, but on a smaller scale, on a much smaller scale, uh, I'm a big fan of grassroots collectives here. And Locals Lounge at the railway is once a month, and they do an incredible job, and they curate so beautifully, and it's a listening audience, which is so rare in Vancouver, uh, and they really make a big deal of um, of really honoring local touring musicians and people who are making a good living from music, and coupling them with a supporting uh, artist who is emerging, which I think gives exactly as you'd said so, so well, I think it was Doug that said it so well that it adds to the rungs of the ladder. It gives you places to step up. And then secondly, stew Jams, which is an underground, um, another collective that's kind of hip hop, R&B, electronic, um, has a huge social, um, conscience, uh, and they're just filled with these really young energetic people who, um, put it together once a month at the Redgate Art Society and it's just a crazy, it is full, it is packed and it's so full of energy. It's, if you haven't checked out either of those two things, I think it's hundred percent worth doing much
1: anymore, but hearing that there's all these new things going on is
6: encouraging.
3: It's so exciting.
6: And you Todd for the Toddcast podcast. Yeah, that's right. I do, uh, I do the last Friday of every month, uh, at the railway, uh, great generally rock. Cause that's, you know what I know but you know sometimes I'll do uh, I've done country nights I've done uh, soul nights You've got um, a great Baroque
1: collection as well and that, yes <laughs> and then uh,
6: and then quarterly I also do um, and this is kind of selfish I guess because I kind of want to still keep my hand in radio but um, I do um, every three months I'll do a question and answer slash acoustic performance with a with an artist I just actually did uh, Todd Kearns was the last one in December. Uh, and I've got uh, Wide Mouth Mason coming up, uh, which has not been announced yet. I guess you I just did. just did, did. yeah. Uh, which is coming in uh, March 12th or 14th or something like that. So, um, and th- those are pretty fun shows because, um, you know, you get to kind of get to know the artist a little bit more than just, you know, the surface of, you know, of what they're doing. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting night. That's it for part one of our Roundtable. Join us next week for part two. And if you want more music talk, get it with me, Todd Hancock, and the Toddcast Podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Ex-Black Crows drummer Steve Gorman recently called up. Listen to him talk about his first concert.
2: I saw Heart in 1978. Nice. Um, so I was 13, I guess. We were on a soccer trip, my high school team. I was
6: actually,
8: I think I was in eighth
6: grade. The Brenton on Tour Music Cast is brought to you by the Toddcast Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Toddcast Podcast. You can hear the podcast's full interviews and a lot more through ToddHancock.ca. We'll see you soon.
7: The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers.
0: Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in
7: Baton Rouge, Louisiana.